Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, good morning, Gateway. My name is Jeff Pruitt. I'm the uh, children and young families pastor here. And I have the privilege this morning of continuing uh, the series that we are doing in the book of Galatians. Uh, Pastor Don will be back next week preaching. Um, But right now, this morning, we are going to be in Galatians 1. So if you have your Bibles, your apps, however you access God's Word, if you would turn to Galatians 1, and that's where we're going to be this morning. Now... To get started, um, we're going to talk a little bit about a phenomenon that I always, when I come up here, I have four kids and two foster kids in my house. I work with kids all the time. So I always have some kind of story or some kind of observation that connects to whatever we're talking about. And so my observation this morning is an area that I've found in my parenting that I still haven't figured out yet. We have a lot of parents out here, and I'm sure every single one of you at some point, your kids have come up to you and said something or asked a question or they did something that you're like, I never would have expected or thought them to say that or do that. And you have to think on your feet of how am I going to respond to this? So the one thing that even like this happens probably weekly in my house, and I still haven't figured out how to get to the bottom of it is, you probably all had this as well, you have two kids come up to you and say exact opposite things at the same time. Has anybody ever had that happen? Have you ever had a kid come up to you and say, well, I had this toy first, and then the other kid comes up and says, no, I had this toy first. This happens all the time at our house, and you're like, well, one of you is a liar, and one of you is telling the truth. But I have no clue how to figure out which is which, you know? And so um, it really happens a lot. And usually with some parenting and some discipline and things that we can figure out, figure it out. But I still, to this day, it happens all the time. I still don't know how to handle it. Someone in the first service said, I'll just send them both to their room and take the toy away. That, I mean, that could probably work. But so I bring that up because... In Galatians, and really in the New Testament, uh, this exact same thing happens all the time. You know, we kind of think about the early church. We always hear in Acts 2 how it talks about how they were dedicated to each other, how they sold their possessions and gave to the poor, how they praised God and worshiped God, and God added to their number daily. And that gives us the, the, the impression that like the early church was this perfect like community of believers that did everything right. But the reality is things went south pretty quick, even in the early church. Um, as you get into to the stories and the letters that Paul wrote, and as you get later on in Acts, you start to see all of these fights and all these dissensions and all of these people where you'll have leaders saying exact opposite things. And you're like, well, one of you is a liar. One of you is telling the truth. And there was a lot of tension and a lot of drama in the early church. <clears throat> And the book of Galatians, this letter that Paul is writing to these churches in Galatia, is going to highlight one of those tensions, uh, really starting next week in chapter 2. And it highlights something that happened in the book of Acts. Um, But what I usually do, so back to the story of my two kids, what I usually try to do is get the backstory, right? Start asking questions like, well, tell me... um, 
who was in this room first? Okay, when you entered into the room, did he already have the toy? Where was the toy sitting? Try to get the history of the situation so that somehow I can figure out who's telling the truth, who's telling the lie. Sometimes that works. Sometimes they have a completely different history that they're telling, and I still don't know the answer. But if you ever get into an argument with someone, if you ever have a dissension, somebody's questioning your motives or questioning what's going on, sometimes we do the same thing where we will say, well, let's take a step back. Let's talk about how we got here and let me show you how how we got here shows that I'm telling the truth, shows that my motives are pure. And this is what's going to be happening in the book of Galatians. So Paul is going to be talking with the church in Galatia and he is going to be defending himself. This seems to happen a lot if you've ever noticed in the letters of Paul. He's always defending himself against false teachers, against other Jewish leaders who are trying to say, no, Paul is a liar. Y'all need to listen to me. And Paul's over here saying, no, I'm, I'm not the liar. Let me explain why I'm not the liar. <laughs> this, the same situation happens that happens with my kids in the early church. And so throughout the New Testament, especially if you, if you read Paul's letters on your own, you'll, you'll find this, this uh, common argument or structure that Paul gives over and over again that comes in the book of Galatians that I want to share with you to start off with. Because if you read uh, Galatians um, on your own or if you're doing it in personal Bible study or really almost any of Paul's letters, you can see this like progression that Paul takes that helps us understand our faith better. Before we do that, let me give you one link. These are some the video that we've shown here before in some different contexts. And I want to share with you a link. If you want to know more about Galatians or really any book of the Bible, check out uh, BibleProject.com. This is a really cool website that almost every single book in the Bible, they have like a five to ten minute video where they go through the entire book explaining what's going on. I don't know about you, but there's many times in, in my past and still in my present where I've opened up scripture and I've, I've read something and I'm kind of like, what in the world is it talking about? Like, what, where, what, what is going on? What is the context of this? I don't understand these names. I don't understand these people, these ideas. So if you ever have that happen when you're reading the Bible, this BibleProject.com, they have like hundreds of videos of all these different Bible topics, all these different books of the Bible, really cool resource that you might want to use. Uh, very strong, biblically, very, very truthful stuff. So it's really good. Back to the story in Galatia. So what Paul does in the book of Galatians, and we're going to kind of walk through this, and I'm going to explain why he does that in a few minutes, is he has basically six chapters where he walks through three different things. And he starts off with this historical context of his life. Pastor Don last week, as he was sharing, started with this historical context. And in the first chapter and in the second chapter, Paul is basically giving his entire life story. He's sharing what has happened in his life from before he knew Jesus to when he met Jesus for the first time, to what happened after he met Jesus. Similar to what our testimonies may be. What your life was like before Jesus, how Jesus radically changed your life, and then what happened. Then from that, he moves on and he talks about how when Jesus radically changed his life, 
He spent three years alone with Jesus, learning more about the Christian faith, about what it means to follow Jesus. And through those three years, his heart and his mind were changed to believe and to understand new things. So he went from this historical context in Galatians 1 and 2 to this theological content in Galatians 3 and 4. So follow the progression here. So Paul had a radical, life-changing experience with Jesus in his past. That created a new reality for him, a truer reality where he realized, and if you were here last week, Pastor Don talked about how if we don't have biblical truth in our life, the world will tend to take truth and turn it upside down. So there was this time where because Paul was raised as a Jewish believer in, in Pharisaic schools, that he had learned a lot of untruths, things that weren't real, that he had this time where, where he had to turn back over all the upside down stuff he had learned. And it created a new theology for him, a new set of beliefs, a new, a new understanding in his heart and his mind about who Jesus and who God really was. So he went from this historical radical change to a new theology, a new set of beliefs, new understanding of who God is. And the, the last part in Galatians 5 and 6 that we'll get to by the end of the summer is, a, is ethical content. What he does, he talks about how a new belief system, a new heart that loves different things, this radical change creates in him a new way of life. A new ethical outcome that the way he was living previously, he now lives differently because what God has done in his life and how God has changed his mind and his heart. And this is similar to what happens in all of our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in Christ, and at some point in your life you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then this is probably similar to what's happened in your life. There's probably been a point where you can look back and say, this was my point of salvation. So we have this historical reality of we accept Christ for who he is. We surrender in faith to him. That's that's our salvation point. And that leads to a new heart and a new mind, right? When our salvation happens in our life, we we have this upside down thinking that the world has given us. And Jesus begins to to right those wrongs, to turn that that worldly thinking upside down back into the truths of Scripture. It gives us this new heart and this new mind. And as our minds are renewed, as our heart is restored to love Jesus our behavior changes and the fruit that we're going to be talking about throughout this, this series, the fruit of the Spirit becomes to, comes to light in our life when we start to live out in this new behavior. And I love this progression, this, this historical event. Jesus died on the cross. I accepted Christ. Now because of that, I have a new belief system. I think differently about Jesus. I understand sin for what it really is. And because of that, now I live differently. I love people. I have joy in my life. I have peace in my life, all of the fruit of the Spirit. And now this, this fruit that has come through in my life shows what Jesus did in my life in the past. What happens a lot of times, and you may have experienced this in your life, or you may have questions about your salvation, where people wonder, like, how do I know that, that I'm a believer? How do I know that I've, I've truly been saved? Like, I remember that, that historical peace that you're talking about. Like, I remember, I mean, I, I'm 42. 
two now. So I, I accepted Christ when I was eight years old and was baptized. That's a long time ago, right? I'm like, how, how do I know that, that that really was real, right? How do I know that I really am a Christian? Maybe you have, you know, family members who you're like, ah, you, you love them and you want them to know Jesus and you're unsure of their salvation and where they stand. Uh, what, what this teaches and I'm talking about as you follow Galatians through this, this progression, is that, that we can know that salvation has happened in our lives then because of the fruit that are being produced in your life now. You understand? So when we get to Galatians 5 and 6, and we talk about the way that we live, it's always out of the reality of the salvation that happened in the past. I know I'm a Christian now because of the fruit that is being produced in my life through Jesus. So I know that what happened in the past was for real. Um, so that's just kind of the, 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 um, that's the structure of this book of Galatians. And throughout the New Testament, when you read Paul and the letters that he writes to all these churches, you're going to find this over and over again. He's going to say, there was this historical reality. Jesus died and, came, and I came to him. Because of that, my mind, my heart, changed. I believed in Jesus. I turned back over all those worldly beliefs and got them right, understood the truth of scripture. And because of those truths, I now live a life that pleases God and the fruit of the spirit live in my life. But here's the important thing. This order isn't negotiable. Like this is the order that it happens in, in the Christian life. And so what's going on in Galatians that Paul is going to be writing to and responding to is there were a group of Jewish leaders from Jerusalem, from Judea, from, from Israel that had come up into Galatians. Paul had already left and Paul had shared this reality that the grace of God saves you, changes your heart and your mind, and then you start to live out the fruit of the Spirit. These Jewish leaders were coming in and saying, well, that's true, but there's actually some like customs and some rules and some laws that you have to follow for God to truly love you. That there are these sets of, of rules and customs that make God love you more. That if you follow them, you're going to find favor with God. He's going to be pleased with you. If you don't follow them, then you are actually not a Christian. You're not a part of this church. Because if you know anything about the Jewish religion, they have, they have like dietary restrictions. They have circumcision. They have some other different, they have Passover. They have a lot of different um, celebrations that, that the Jewish people were required to follow. And so when, when Jesus came on the scene, when he died for our sins, rose again, and the church was established, it happened in the midst of this Jewish religion. And so a lot of the Jewish leaders wanted Jesus, but they also wanted to hold on to all their traditions and all their customs and all of their rules. And then they wanted to take those customs and those rules and put that burden on the non-Jewish -Christ, non Christians as well. Say, everybody's got to become Jewish, really, not just a Christian. So this was the issue back then with Galatians. The issue then was do non-Jewish Christians have to follow Jewish customs and laws? That like 2022, like that doesn't like if I read scripture like I, that, that doesn't compute with me, right? That doesn't make sense to me because we don't live in that same type of environment. 
What it would be similar to is if, if we as a church came up, like up here on the stage or sent emails out to all of you guys and said, well, we know that you, you profess to be a Christian, but in order to really be a Christian, here's five more things that you have to do. You have to give this much every month. And if you don't give this much, oh, that's one strike against you. You have to keep a daily Bible log and turn it into us. And we'll, we'll check off to see whether or not. And so you can imagine these Jewish leaders were trying to control the church by placing more expectations, more rules, more customs on them. What would you do if, you, if we sent you a list of 10 things that you had to do every week and you had to turn them into the church or we'd kick you out of the church? They'd be like, I'm out of here already. See you later, right? That, that's kind of what was happening though. The church was trying to control the people with all of these laws and with all of these things. But Paul is going to say, and we're going to read in Galatians, that that is 100% not the way the Christian faith works. So that was then. I think now the question is more just, is how can we be saved? How, what does it take? Do we, do we earn it? Is it a gift? What part do we play? Because these Jewish, these Jewish leaders were coming in and saying, Paul told you that salvation was a gift from God, that Jesus paid the price. And if you have faith in Jesus, you are saved. You're a follower of Jesus. You belong in the church. And that's all it takes. The Jewish leaders are saying, but you really got to follow these dietary restrictions. You really got to observe these, these, um, these special holidays that we have. You really got to make sure everyone is circumcised. You really have all these other things you also have to do to really be a follower of Jesus. And so that's what's going on in Galatians. You have two sides, just like my two kids. One of them is lying. One of them is not telling the truth. One of them is telling the truth. So what does Paul do? He's writing the church to let them know his side of the story, to argue for what we now know, of course, is the truth. And what Paul starts off with, as I mentioned before, is he says, let me take a step back. Let me tell you the history of my life to help you understand why I'm saying the things that I'm saying. Because Paul had a very interesting life, if you, if you don't know. And we're going to read a little bit about that. So let's jump in. Galatians 1, verse 11. We're going to read 11 through 24 and just stop a little bit along the way. <clears throat> this is what Paul says. He's writing to the Galatians. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So he starts right off the bat and says, let me tell you the reality. I didn't make this up. I didn't go find a way to control a, a group of people and bring it to them and try to present something. I'm not trying to gain a following here. I am just presenting the truths that were given to me directly from Jesus Christ himself. And he continues on, verse 13, takes us, takes us further back in his life. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. 
So you might be like, wait a second, why is he bragging? Why is he boasting? Why is he telling us how awesome he is? Well, he's doing that because he's wanting to say, I, all of the works I had done, I had worked hard to become a very good, strong person in the Jewish religion. I was above, above reproach when it came to, to ethics and to behavior. Like I had done everything I needed to do in my life for God to accept me. So what he's saying is, I had the works. All these things that these Jewish leaders are coming in and telling you you need to do, Paul's like, I already had those. I had them all. But this is what happens. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. So what he's saying is he didn't know God. He didn't know Jesus until after God revealed himself, after God showed him who Jesus was, after he placed his faith in Jesus. He's saying all of those works, all of those, all the stuff he had done, none of it mattered until God revealed Jesus to him, until he accepted Christ, until the grace of God was placed onto his life. And then he didn't go around and try to, you know, consult with people to try to figure out how to build a religion. He only went and spent time with Jesus. Verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. 18, and then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, Cephas, Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God, that is what, what I'm writing to you is no lie. So he's, you can tell he's saying, I'm not a liar. This is really what happened. What he is saying is Jesus radically changed my life one day. And for three years, I spent time with no one but Jesus learning the truth of scripture from him. Like we don't know what that looked like. Like we don't know, was, did Jesus like come again in a, in a blinding light or was it, was it done through, you know, how did Jesus reveal himself to Paul for three years straight? We don't have the answer to that. But what Paul says is for three years, it was me and Jesus and it was no one else. Then and only then did I go up and talk to Peter and the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish leaders of that church to make sure that we are on the same page and they were on the same page. Not only until later did all these dissensions and other things happen. Let's continue. Last few verses. Verse 21, then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So what he's saying in this whole, this whole passage, this whole, this whole like backstory of his history, he's saying that the works that he accomplished in his life for, what, 30 years in his life did nothing to get him to closer to God. What he is saying is there was a moment on the road to Damascus, he was going to persecute Christians. There was a moment when God revealed him, Jesus blinded him, revealed himself, and he experienced the grace of God. He put his faith into Jesus, and that moment alone is what saved him. 
And he'll continue to, 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 to argue about this throughout the, the book, throughout, throughout Galatians, and really the whole New Testament teaches this, is that it isn't this works of earning God's favor. It's the grace that we accept, the gift of God in Jesus Christ that saves us. And so he's, he's writing to these Galatians. He's seeing this group of people who experienced the grace of God, experienced this wonderful gift of salvation that's given to us by Jesus. And he sees these people who are now starting to trickle back into this works-based system of trying to earn God's favor. And so if, if, if you remember last week and Pastor Don was, was reading the first half, the, I think it's verse six, he, like, he says, let me find it real quick. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. So he's, he's astonished that these Galatian Christians are refusing grace and instead living in works. He's astonished that, that instead of accepting the gift that God has given them, salvation in Jesus, instead they're trying to move back where they try to earn God's favor. And this is the whole issue in the New Testament over and over again we see. How are we saved? How do we know that God truly accepts us? How do we know that we truly are children of God? Is it based on the works that we do? Is it based on measuring up to a certain standard on our own so that we earn it? Or is it a gift that God gives us through Jesus on the cross? And you see, this isn't just an issue within the, the early church. This is an issue here and now in 2022. Because if you think about the religions of this world, every single one of them is based on works, except Christianity. Every single one of them is a, is a, is a manual or a, a teaching on how to earn God's favor. These are the five things you have to do. These are the 10 things you need to do. You need to do this three times each day. You need to do this in your life. Do, 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 do. And you can earn God's favor. You see, the religions of the world are based on works. Works say, it says earn it. You've got to earn it yourself. You're strong enough. You're capable enough. You can make it happen. Works say earn it. Works say do, do. Do, and then do more, and then do more. And I don't know about you, but constantly trying to earn the favor of someone, but never knowing whether or not you add up, that's an exhausting way to live. And you see a lot of people in this world who are very exhausted in their life. No joy in their life, no peace in their life, because they're living in a works-based society maybe following a works-based religion where they have to me measure up themselves and they're never going to do it, but they keep trying and keep trying. 
The beauty of Christianity, the beauty of what Paul is teaching to the Galatians, the beauty of what he's trying to just hammer into their brains about how much works he had, but now he realized they were worthless. What he's trying to show them is Christianity is completely opposite of that. Our faith is complete, completely opposite. Ours is a faith of grace. It's by grace through faith you have been saved. It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that none of us can boast or none of us will be exhausted trying to, to earn it when we can't do it. It's a, wor- it's, a, it's a religion, a faith of grace. Because grace doesn't say earn it. Grace says given, right? Grace says on the cross, it's given. Grace says done. Jesus gave you salvation on the cross. Jesus earned what you can never earn. Jesus paid the price for what you were supposed to pay the price for. The beauty of our faith is it says, you can never earn God's grace on your own, but Jesus earned it for us. Now there's a, a, a famous pastor named David Platt. Some of you guys may have heard of him. Um, just a little background. I want to tell a story that he tells and it it illustrates this better than anything else. He is a, he was, he was the president of IMB for a while, but he's been all over the world. He's been in underground churches in China, India, Muslim. He's been all over the world and he's seen it all. Um, and one time he was in India somewhere, I believe it was, at a, at a uh, Buddhist temple that was on the mountainside. And he said that he was there because he, he would visit all the different world religions and learn like, the, what their beliefs are and all this stuff. He was there, and the Buddhist monk of that temple said, Pastor David, come, come out here. And they walked out onto like the, the terrace or whatever was there, and there were mountains surrounding them in this beautiful country. And the monk said, do you see these mountains? David's like, yeah, I see the mountains. He said, he said, my understanding of religion is this. And the Buddhist monk said, Look at that mountain. That's the highest mountain here. God sits atop of that mountain. And the monk said, now if you look, you can see there's some different paths here and there on this mountain that kind of ascend to the top. And you see all of these different religions are the people. They're down at the bottom and they're ascending to the top trying to reach the God who sits atop the mountain. And so this monk says, your religion, Christianity, my religion, Buddhism, Muslim, um, Jewish, Mormon, whatever you want to say, whatever the religion is, is that group of people's way of reaching God at the top. But the same God sits at the top. And the, Muslim, the, the monk said, now tell me, Pastor David, what, what do you think about that? And David said, that's, that's interesting. I, I see what you're saying. He said, but there's one problem with that view. And what he said was, my God, the God of the Bible, God, the Father of Jesus, the Christian God, didn't sit at the top of the mountain and watch people try to get to him. My God got off the top of the mountain and came down to the bottom. And my God picked me up in his arms and carried me to the top to be with him. And he said, any God that doesn't do that is no God that I want to worship. Any God who doesn't do that is not a God worth praising. And he said, you see, 
these, all these other religions is works, is trying to earn God's favor. But the Christian God is a God who comes down to us. It's a God of grace and mercy because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's so important to understand because it affects every part of our life. I feel like you, t- you think about the peace in our life. You think about joy in our life. And you think about these fruit of the spirit that we're going to be looking at throughout this summer. And there are people who are desperately searching for these fruit in their life. People desperately searching for peace. People desperately searching for joy and kindness and love and self-control and all of these fruit. But they're asking the wrong question. They're asking, how do I work so I can get those in my life? They're asking the question, how do I earn these great things in my life? And Paul, Christianity, we as followers of Jesus need to let them know you can't earn any of them. It's not works. There's only one way, and it's through a relationship with Jesus that is given by grace. And it's through faith in him that you can experience these things. And until you have that salvation moment where you realize who Jesus is and what he did, you're going to be searching. You're going to be working. You're going to be trying to earn your entire life things that you can never earn. You've got to surrender it to God and let God give it to you. You've got to let God pick you up and take you to the top of the mountain. One more story to illustrate this. I heard this from another pastor as well, and uh, it's a great story. Um, I want you to imagine, if you will, two different boys who are cutting the grass in the front yard of their home while their dads are off at work. So we have two kids, their neighbors will say, one's cutting the grass over here, one's cutting the grass over here. Let's say you drive by and you notice these two neighbors doing the exact same thing But one of the neighbors is smiling, is having a good time, seems to be filled with joy in the midst of the work that he is doing. But then you look over at the other boy and you see the other boy has no joy at all. He's miserable. He keeps stopping and and looking back and checking and and making sure everything is perfect and and he misses something and he gets mad at himself and he goes back and redoes that piece and he's trying to hurry. You can tell he's just frustrated. He's just exasperated. He's just so done with this that he doesn't want to do it anymore. But both of these boys are doing the exact same thing. They're cutting the grass at their house. What is the difference to the boy who's filled with joy and the boy who is at the end of his rope, ready to give in, ready to be done with it all because he doesn't think he can do it. Let's look at their fathers. Let's start with this boy. This boy has a father who expects a lot from him. And if he doesn't add up to those expectations or meet those expectations, he punishes the boy. This father has a relationship with his son where his son has to earn his love. And if he doesn't earn it, he's not going to get his love. There are fathers out there who are like this. And if that son messes up, that son's going to hear about it. And that son's going to get in trouble. 
And that son's going to not experience the love of his father and the care of his father as punishment for messing up and not earning the, the, what, what his father expects him to do. So you can imagine living in a household like that. Maybe some of you did live in a household like that, where you always felt like you had to try to measure up to your father's expectations so that he would love you, and you seemed to never measure up. And so you always wondered whether or not he really loved you, whether or not he cared for you, whether or not there was any relationship there at all, and you know you had to earn it and earn it and earn it. That's an exhausting way to live. So that's this boy. But let's think about this boy's father. This boy's father instead loves him unconditionally. This boy's father here wants him to cut the grass, but it doesn't affect how much he loves him. This son here knows that when his father gets home, no matter what, the father is going to come and give him a hug and say, thank you for being a part of this family and helping me out. This, fa- this son here, this boy here, is living out a life of grace from his father. That if he messes up, if he misses a spot, if he doesn't finish, there's going to be grace for him. And he's not doing it so that he can earn his father's love. He's doing it because his father loves him so much that he wants to please his father and he wants to show the love back to his father. And so he does it out of joy. And he does it, he does it out of gratitude. He does it out of a love that he has for his father who loved him first. It's a grace-filled relationship. This is a works-based relationship. He doesn't do it out of love. He does it so he doesn't get punished. He does it so he doesn't get yelled at. He does it hoping he will measure up, knowing that he probably never will. And so you can see this is kind of a parable, kind of an allegory, if you will. It's kind of a, a, a looking at two different ways to live our lives. Two different ways for people in general to live their life and their response and their relationship with God. We can live our lives relationally in grace. Where we know that God has given us everything in Christ Jesus. And the fruit of the spirit that we'll be looking at, they flow out of that gratitude, out of that love for God, out of what God is doing in us through the spirit. The the behaviors, the things we do, they naturally flow out because we love God so much and we know he loves us. This is the Christian life. But over here, this works-based life is built on a relationship with God where you feel like God is looking down on you, waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can punish you. That he's keeping tabs on everything you do and your relationship with him, the love he has for you and your connection and relation with him is based on how well you did one day, how bad you did the next day. It's a scale of works and it's the, it's the, it's the way the world operates. That's why our faith is so important. That's why our faith This should be so attractive to the world. That's why what we believe can empower us to live out the fruit of the Spirit day in and day out. When we experience the true grace of God, the true unconditional love that he offers us, it radically changes our outlook on life. It brings joy and peace and love and gentleness and kindness and patience and self-control, all of these fruit. But if we're stuck in works... We're going to wear ourselves out trying to please a God 
that's saying, you don't have to please me. I'm here for you. Run to my arms in Jesus. So what Paul is telling the Galatians is, is that the law, these Jewish customs, these Jewish rules, all this stuff these Jewish people were trying to heap onto the, the, the believers in Galatia, he, Paul is saying that, that will not add joy to your life. Doing more, doing more, doing more, trying to earn will not add joy to your life. Only God's spirit living inside you through grace will really bring true joy into your life. It's why Jesus says, I came to give you life, life abundantly. It's why, why the Bible speaks of a peace that, that passes all understanding. All of this is not things we earn. It's gifts of God through grace when we come to Jesus in faith. So that's my, that's my question this morning for you is, is which one of these two relationships that we've kind of been putting at odds defines your relationship with God. And if you've always felt like you had to earn God's love and God's favor, it's time, it's time to move. It's time to realize that that's a worldly belief that has been turned upside down in your life. And you need to give that up. You need to run to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, you have earned it all for me already. You've already given me a relationship with God. Because of the cross and because of the grace you have shown me, I can live out my life in joy, living out the fruit of the Spirit, not trying to earn something from God. Will you pray with me?